0: Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. When I, when I was in junior high, uh, WWW, now WWE, was really big. And, and uh, Pastor Bernie, I feel like we should be kind of like tapping each other out. Like, all right, it's my turn to beat up the devil. Let's go. All right. Good, good morning. Pastor Bernie has had us in this series, Beyond Expectation. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes. That's a lie. I want to talk to you for a long time, but uh, I'm only going to take a few minutes. I want to talk to you about living beyond expectation. All of us are raised in a particular environment, and from the earliest of ages, people seem to have an idea of who who we are going to become. I, I remember being a a kid in elementary school and people asking me if I was going to be a pastor when I grew up. Uh, bad illustration because I am. I told them, no, I said, absolutely not. And, and here I am. But there is something that happens when we encounter the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that invites us to step into a way of living that is beyond any expectation That others can put upon us because we are stepping out of our natural abilities and into the supernatural abilities that God imparts in order that we might partner with him on his mission. And I get super excited about that. If you don't, that's okay. By the end of the service, you will. If you don't, by then, we will lock the doors and I'll get you fired up by 1045. We're going to look at the life of Jesus because Jesus, we have to remember, began just like you and just like me. Pastor Bernie talked about that last week. He was born as a human baby, but something happened where one day in the synagogue, everybody looked at him and went, what happened? I thought this was Joseph's kid and he's, he's. He's doing something far beyond our expectation of a carpenter's son. So last week, Jesus was about to be born. This week, he's 30. Uh, Time moves really quick in this series, so bear with me. Uh, We're going to look at Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So he went to his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. He's speaking and teaching to the people who grew up with and he grew up with, and what is coming out of him, not simply his words, but the presence with which he is able to carry himself, and the authority Luke will tell us later, which with he speaks, makes everybody step back and go, "Wait a minute. This is the carpenter's kid. This is not the kind of thing we expect from the carpenter's kid when we get together in the synagogue. Now, it is my fundamental, my core, my absolute belief. That Jesus wants to do something in you and Jesus wants to do something through you that defies the expectation, that obliterates the expectation of those in your hometown. That, That they see the life and the love of God expressed through you and they're like, isn't that Jeff? I thought Jeff was a real estate agent. What's he doing healing people? Are you tracking with me so far? Because if you don't get this, the rest of our 24 minutes may be a bit of a waste to you. I believe the spirit of God wants to rest upon you in such a way, because I believe this is fundamentally the purpose of God. I believe the spirit of God wants to rest upon you in such a way that you become so transformed that it defies the expectations of people around you as it did with Jesus. And if you're at all like me, there may be places in your life where you go, you know, I'm just, I'm just shy. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a student. I'm just a stay-at-home dad. I'm, I'm just retired. Jesus, Jesus was just a carpenter. But Jesus, just a carpenter, became a man on a mission who would reconcile humanity back to God the Father. I think if we're honest, we would all like to live lives beyond expectation. I don't, I don't know of any kid I've ever talked to as they're growing up and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they looked at me and went, Med mediocre. They're not aspiring to make the middle school JV team. They're going to play in the NBA. I, I never had the heart to look at my son and go, you got your, heart, your height from your mom. Uh, I'm not sure you're going to put, but I love that he his aspirations were huge. Ours should be as well. Our touchstone verse for this series has been Ephesians three nineteen. Paul's prayer that we would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he says now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's already at work in us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Means none of us are going to be left out. When Jesus stepped out of heaven and came to earth, he emptied himself of his power and his glory. He became like you and I that he would identify with us. And yet something happened that we see in Luke chapter 4 that filled him to the measure of all the fullness of God, way beyond anything his neighbors thought possible. And if it was possible for Jesus' church, let me tell you this morning, it is possible for you. How do we know? How do we know that he was once again filled to the measure of God? First, Jesus is a carpenter. And he stands up in the synagogue and he declares, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, you and I can read that on this side of Pentecost and go, well, yeah, of course, that's a no-brainer. Acts chapter 2, spirit falling on all mankind, that was always God's plan. Yes, but it wasn't put into effect until Acts chapter 2. The anointing of God that came upon men or women in the Old Testament was really particular. When Jesus said this, it was both a radical and a controversial statement because the Holy Spirit came upon judges, upon prophets upon deliverers, upon kings, not upon carpenters. We have David and Samson. We have Isaiah, people anointed by God to reach, teach, or deliver a particular group of people. But Jesus identifies with them and says, the spirit of God has come to rest on me in the same way. And he identifies himself as the fulfillment of the promise in Isaiah 61. And then he sits down. What's the big deal? He didn't sit on the floor. He sat down in something called the seat of Moses. This is the seat of Moses in a synagogue in Chorazin where I got to go years ago. The the seat of Moses was the position of authority that they would sit in in the synagogue and then begin to speak, to teach about the work and the will of God. So Jesus has this declaration. He takes this position of a rabbi and of authority and everybody's going, wait a minute. This is the carpenter's kid. But nobody asks him to move because they recognize, they identify the sovereign work of God in his life. As Jesus says, I'm a rabbi, not a carpenter. I'm anointed by God, not by man. I am a deliverer and I am the fulfillment of a prophetic promise. This is definitely living beyond their expectation of the carpenter's kid. You with me so far? Okay, every once in a while, nod your head so I know you're awake. I, I know amens are a bit of a stretch, but if from time to time, I'll even take a mild seizure. I'm not picky. I just want to know you're with me. So how did the carpenter's kid get here? To understand what happened to Jesus to brought him, that brought him to this point, we, we have to look back at something that happened earlier in, in his life, in particular, at his baptism. Now, as we talk about Jesus' baptism, I want you to keep this phrase in mind. Jesus is our representative Messiah. What does that mean? It means that we identify with him and he with us. So when God speaks to Jesus as he comes up out of the water, the things that God says to Jesus, he says to you and to me as well. Uh, Author and theologian N.T. Wright said it this way. He said, The whole Christian gospel could be summed up in this one point, that when the living God looks at us, at every baptized, believing Christian, he says to us what he said to Jesus on that day. He sees us not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Christ Jesus. So when you see what Jesus encounters, what he experiences and what he hears, put yourself in the story because what God says to Jesus, God wants to say to you as well. So Jesus goes down into the waters of baptism. Why was he being baptized? This is very important. John was teaching a baptism of repentance. Jesus needed to repent for nothing. Jesus, this was a baptism of identification. He was making a prophetic statement as he went into the waters of baptism that he was surrendering his life to the will of God the Father. He knew what lay before him. The waters of baptism represent a grave. He knew he was going to the cross, and he was surrendered to it. He knew he would come up from the dead again and he was surrendered to that as well we need to understand that God that Jesus in this moment was saying I am surrendered to God the Father the same way you and I are invited to surrender our lives to Christ and as a result of that surrender if if you're not willing to surrender to Christ none of what I am about to say applies to you I didn't think it was that funny that wasn't a joke I just want you to understand so I don't mess with your theology that I'm, I'm speaking to people who have surrendered their lives to Christ, who have been born again. Five things that happened, four of them in Matthew 3 alone. Let me, let me read the passage. Matthew three sixteen. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him... I am well pleased. There's a lot going on in that verse and a half. Here's the first thing that Jesus experiences that leads to this release into a life beyond expectation. Jesus experiences revelation. Where do I see that? At that moment, heaven was open. We need to understand that for, for the people who followed Jesus, for, for the Jews, they, they saw heaven and earth as God's sphere and ours, twin halves of God's good creation. And in Christ, like at Pentecost, heaven and earth come together. In Jesus, the life of heaven arrived on earth. But hear me, heaven opening meant that God's kingdom was being revealed to Jesus as it would shortly be revealed through Jesus. The, the Heaven and earth for the Jewish people were... were They were just separated by a veil, and it's as if God removed the veil so so Jesus could see what God was about. He could hear what God was saying. He could understand and identify both the will and the work of God. These two spheres of influence, heaven and earth, were were concurrent, Uh, though heaven, as the Jews understood it, was just out of sight. It was just out of reach. John six thirty eight. 38. To Jesus, when he sees what the Father is about, he's, he's able to identify and align with it. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now, again, heaven in the Jewish mindset had to do with spheres of influence, not geography. He, he stepped down from his position of authority to engage as we did. Jesus didn't take an elevator. That's that's not what he's saying. He didn't look up and, and there was a doorway in heaven. God revealed his will, revealed himself to Jesus in a unique way. And if you and I are going to live lives beyond expectation, we need to experience a revelation, a revelation of the Father, of his will, his plan, and perhaps just as importantly, of our place In it, Because we can't hit a target that we can't see. And so when we're able to see where God is leading us, we're able to engage with him to live a life beyond expectation. And there is no revelation apart from surrender. If you feel stuck, I don't know what God wants for me. I would do two things. I would ask for a fresh revelation because God gives wisdom freely to those who ask. Pastor Bernie said that. Last week. And secondly, I would begin to examine my life to see whether or not there are areas that I have not fully surrendered to Him. And I I would submit to you that there is no greater source of revelation than the Word of God under the direction of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to spend some time there. We got to keep going. Jesus experiences revelation, Jesus experiences impartation. It says, He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on Him. This is critical. We cannot live out revelation. We can't live beyond expectation in our own strength because God's will is accomplished, hear me, through God's power. Revelation without impartation leads to failure and frustration. When you don't have the power of God to do the work of God, you're going to get really discouraged really, really quickly. I wound up years ago in a surgical center because I had a revelation of a weightlifting goal but did not have the strength, had not received the impartation to see it through. I just got excited, and I got fired up. The next thing you know, there's a pop and a rip. Two really bad things when you're lifting heavy weights. Rotator cuff, gone. Labrum, gone. Next thing I know, I went from fired up to I can't lift my hand over my head. We have to align not only with the purpose of God, but with the power of God in order to live the lives for which he has called us. Jesus told his disciples, you'll receive power as an impartation, and then you will be my my, my witnesses. They did, and then they were. Guys, to live the kind of exciting, fun, and fulfilling life that Jesus has invited us to, we to we have to have a dynamic hunger for and a dependence on the person and the power of the Spirit of God because there is no other way. Jesus was a man who lived under the direction of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes this in Ephesians 5, Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Then he explains what wise people do. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. That's revelation. Don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's impartation. And so if you and I want to live lives beyond expectations, We first need God to speak to us about what that life looks like, and then we need to receive from him the empowering presence of his Holy Spirit. The word Paul uses there to say be filled with the Holy Spirit means continually. Keep it going. John, how do I do that? What's the formula? Pretty simple. Holy Spirit, will you fill me afresh today? I want to encourage you this week to start your day with that very simple prayer and watch what happens. Jesus experiences revelation, receives impartation. And then, I love this, there's a moment of identification. God speaks to him and said, this is my son whom I love. If if baptism is, is Jesus identifying with the father, this statement is the father identifying with the son. And Jesus... In his humanity, he needed the same things you and I need. He needed a sense of belonging, my son. He needed a sense of value, whom I love. And if you watch his life, he needed this more than once. This is quoted almost verbatim at the transfiguration, where Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and the father again interrupts everything and says, this is my beloved son, whom I love, and adds probably for Peter's benefit, listen to him. If we're going to live into our assignment, if we're going to become people of whom they say, I I thought that was just Mike's kid, we need to know that we belong to God and we're valuable to him. Because as we engage on mission with Jesus, not everybody is always going to like it. The same people who said of Jesus and were amazed at him, this is awesome, I thought this was just the carpenter's kid, a few verses later are trying to throw him off a cliff because they don't like the message that he brought that time. But when you and I understand, as Pastor Bernie said moments ago, the depth of the love God has for us, it sustains us in and through everything. And remember, what the Father says to Jesus, he says to you, you are my daughter. You are my son. You belong to me, and I love you. If you struggle because you don't feel very lovable, I want to encourage you to take God's word for it. I'm going to jump down to the the next one. Affirmation. Revelation, impartation, point of identification, affirmation. With him, I am well pleased. Remember, what he says to Jesus, he says to you. Here's what that means to me. He makes me happy. Hey, everybody. This is my son. He belongs to me. I love him deeply, and he makes me very happy. Do you know that you make God happy? Not because of something you do, though I'm sure he finds it delightful, but simply because of who you are. Ephesians 3.18 says, you're actually, you're a poem. That's the word he uses to describe you for workmanship. You're a poem God is writing. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Awesome. And then this, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love and he will exult over you with singing. He delights in you. You make him happy. And it was so important for me to realize that when the father said this to Jesus, Jesus hadn't done anything yet. Hadn't walked on water, hadn't raised the dead, hadn't healed the sick, hadn't fed a multitude, hadn't even taught a really good message yet. The only thing Jesus had done at that point that made the father say, gosh, you make me happy, is surrendered to him. He says it as he comes up out of the water. God's love for us and his joy in us are not transactional. It has nothing to do with how effectively you serve him, how hard you work. Pastor Bernie said again a moment ago, way to tee it up, uh, God couldn't possibly love you any more tomorrow than he does right now. And we experience the freedom that allows us to live lives beyond expectation when we stop trying to earn God's love and affirmation. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. He doesn't just love you. Sometimes that sounds like kind of a mercy thing. You make him really happy. He delights in you as you are right now. So Jesus has these four experiences in Matthew 3. Revelation, he understands God's will. Impartation, he receives God's power. A moment of identification, he's... God's child, then affirmation. He receives God's pleasure. These four things, so critical to living into our call and living beyond people's expectation, and I love them. I'm like, these are awesome. Yes, let's do that. I keep reading the story, and I encounter a fifth experience that I like a lot less. Opposition. Didn't get a ton of amens on that one. I'm not super shocked. You and I live in such a subjective culture that when we experience challenge or discomfort or frustration, we begin to question the revelation. We question whether or not we received an impartation. Um, But what if, what if, submit this to you, what if opposition isn't a setback or a sign of God's displeasure? but rather an opportunity for what what God is doing in us to be further refined and strengthened. What if opposition is, in fact, more of a launching pad than a jail sentence? I believe it is, and I'm going to show you why. Now, I'm not saying all opposition is. But there is something that God does in the challenging moments of our lives that draws something out of us that might not come to fruition any other way. Luke 4, 1. Right after the baptism, Jesus, full of the Spirit, that's impartation, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, that's revelation, into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, that's opposition, How does that line up with your theology? Is there room in your understanding of God for the Spirit of God to lead you into challenging places? Because for some of us, there isn't. Well, God would never. Well, apparently God would. Do you understand that the Holy Spirit can lead you to places where his work in you? where your faith and where your obedience are challenged by hell itself, that you didn't get there by accident but under the Spirit's direction, that not every challenge you face is the result of your sin or your failure or your incompetence. I've had plenty of those. Thank you very much. Jesus, however, did not. God in his infinite wisdom leads Jesus from a moment of incredible impartation and affirmation into the wilderness, never a fun place, to be confronted by the devil. What is he thinking? He's thinking something is about to come alive in Christ. The devil begins to challenge the very work of God that Jesus had just experienced. He He throws three different temptations at him. If you're familiar with the story, we won't read it this morning for time's sake. But the temptations have to do with both the revelation and a sense of Christ's identity. If you are the son of God, he says, do this. If you are the son of God, do that. Turn those stones into bread. Go up on the top of the temple and throw yourself off, if you're really the son of God. What had God just said? This is my son. The work of God in you is going to be challenged. The third temptation is to be exalted without first going to the cross. Worship me and I'll give you all the nations of the world. They'll they'll worship you. This is is a direct challenge to the revelation he had just experienced from the Father as he began to understand what was laying before him. We, we could spend a week on each of these temptations. We don't have the time, but there are a couple of things that I want you to see. These are important because the work of God in you will be challenged. Here's the first thing. It was a revelation of God's will for his life that led Jesus to experience opposition. I know I've already said that. I am saying it again. It was a revelation of God's will for his life that led Jesus to experience opposition. Some of us have been walking in shame because we have wrongly believed that challenge is a sign of our failure. And I want to free you from that this morning in Jesus' name. Jesus was not incompetent. Jesus was not unloved. Jesus was not incapable. Jesus was not a bad parent. Jesus was not a bad employee. Jesus was not a bad student and he still found himself in a moment of significant challenge. If there is a voice of shame that would say to you what you are experiencing, what your family is experiencing is a direct result of your failure or incompetence, I'm going to teach you very four very important words. 5 Shut up in Jesus' name. How does Jesus deal with the temptation? He speaks. Sucker, it is written. Sucker's my paraphrase. He he didn't say that. I'm jumping ahead. I'll get there. Revelation of God's will led him to experience challenge. Secondly, the Holy Spirit was present in that wilderness season. Luke makes a point that to say of Jesus... Full of the spirit, he entered into the wilderness. Jesus had everything he needed to meet the challenge when he entered the wilderness. If you are a child of God, if you have come through that place of surrendering your life to Christ, you have everything you need to face anything the devil would ever throw at you. Do you know how I know that? Because you don't even belong to yourself anymore. You're God's kid. Scripture says, You have been bought with a price. You belong to him, which means when the devil says mine again, God says, back up, sucker. he's mine. You have what you need to overcome anything, any force of hell could ever send your way. Greater is he who is in you, ever heard that one before, than he who is in the world. Jesus had to experience it, but he was fully capable to overcome it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I hear that, woo. The temptations in your life, got to land this plane, are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Number three, Jesus, and I love this, he responded to temptation with revelation. He said to the devil all three times, he said, if, if, if. He said, it is written. In other words, he said, this isn't about you and me. This is about you and God. And God says, and I'm going to align with what God says. So you go ahead and put your little fiat in park because I'm moving forward into the plans and the purposes of God. If you drive a fiat, I'm sorry, it's the only one that came to mind. Great cars. Go Italy. Every time, read the story, every time Jesus said, it is written, the argument was over. The devil didn't go, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Oh, argument over. Well, let me try another one. It is written. Let me try another one. It is written. Listen. Very important. If we don't understand the word of God, we can't understand the will of God. And if we don't understand the will of God, we cannot partner in the work of God. And if we don't partner in the work of God, we will never live a life beyond expectation. Jesus met temptation, met challenge with the word of God. If time in God's word is intimidating for you, or not a regular part of your life, discipleship journey, I want to encourage you to watch Pastor Bernie's Pathways to Growth from February 8th, February where he teaches us very simply, but very powerfully, how we can engage with the Word of God on a regular basis. Go to YouTube, type in Lompoc Foursquare Church, you'll find our, our channel, Pathways to Growth, down to February 8th. Almost done. Here's the fourth one. And this is where I get excited. I'm all out of time to get excited, but I'm going to get excited anyway. Jesus overcame the opposition, and he emerged from the wilderness empowered. You have me fast for 40 days and get in a fight. I'm coming out and taking a nap. Jesus came out of the wilderness Empowered by the Spirit of God, now he had become more than a carpenter. Now he is the one who stands up in the synagogue and says, let me tell you something about something. Where do I find that? Luke 4.1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke 4.14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Family, God does not waste these seasons. He is always working for our good. As I said a moment ago, when Jesus entered the wilderness, he had everything he needed to overcome. But there seems to have been something in his reliance upon God and his engagement with the Holy Spirit in the midst of that opposition that unleashed something in him. So it was no longer simply the work of God in him. He wasn't just full of the Holy Spirit. It now, from this moment, spills out of him wherever he goes. The devil messed up. I'm going to meet Jesus in the wilderness. I'm going to hit him hard, and I'm going to knock him down. And Jesus, in essence, goes, sorry, sucker, you woke me up. And now I'm coming after you and yours. Where do I find now I'm coming after you and yours? When the time of testing was done, Jesus crossed over the Jordan River out of the wilderness. Where do you cross out of the wilderness across the Jordan into? The promised land. Any Jewish man, woman, or child hearing this story would have understood the symbolism at play. When the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River from the wilderness into the promised land, they were ushering in an era of the favor of God and the establishment of the kingdom of God. And what does Jesus come preaching? The kingdom of God, it's here now. The kingdom of God is at hand. time for some of you to step across the Jordan River. You have been in a season of challenge and opposition, and you're still standing, which is a testimony to the work of God in your life, his faithfulness to you and your faithfulness to him. You have been fighting in the wilderness as the work of God in your life has been resisted, but it has not been overcome. Your identity has been challenged. Your revelation of God's will for you has been challenged. You've been tempted to give up or to compromise your call, but you have not. God has not been absent. The fact that you are still present, present, still fighting, is a testimony to his presence. That wilderness season, hear me say to you, that wilderness season has been a proving ground. And now it is time to cross back over in the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to experience the favor of God. To begin to do things that earlier were not possible for you to do. But now God says, my daughter, my son, it's time. It's time to extend my influence in the world around you. It's time to build an unshakable kingdom. It's time for people to be amazed at the work of God in you as you live a life beyond expectation. Pastor Bernie and I were talking earlier this week about the question Jesus asked a man named Blind Bartimaeus on the road to Jericho. He said, what do you need? What do you want me to do for you? If your name is blind Bartimaeus, your need is pretty obvious. And yet Jesus wanted him to own that moment and vocalize that need. Bartimaeus said, I want to see. and So Jesus healed him. This morning, the Lord is asking you the same question. What do you need? What can I do for you? Do you want to walk this out with me the same way that we see Jesus walking it out what do you need to believe you can do that do you need to experience my love again do you need to hear my voice of affirmation saying that I am really pleased with you do you need a fresh impartation of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit You need a fresh revelation, a clear understanding of what God is about in you and wants to be about through you. You just need hope again to push through whatever opposition is before you. Jesus is asking, what can I do for you? Bow your heads with me for just a moment. Jesus is present. The Father is present here as he was with Jesus at the Jordan. And he wants to say these things to you again. I love you. You belong to me. You make me happy. Tell him what you need. Tell him what It's here. Lord God, what you've done for us in Jesus is beyond expectation. What you invite us into Beyond expectation. No eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store. Lord, would you love your people well? Would you lead your people well? I speak to shame. I say, Your power is broken. In the I speak to discouragement. And I say your power is broken in the name of Jesus. I speak to self-loathing. You who would tell us we will never be lovable and never good enough. You are a liar from the pit of hell and your power is broken now in the name of Jesus. Lord, as we sang, as we begin our time together, we invite your amazing grace, your incomparable grace glorious grace to work in us in all of those places where we feel deficient. God, we own our deficiencies because they're places where you can intervene. We love you, Jesus. Lead us. We're going to follow and see great things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.